Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Creed 2, directed by Stephen Capel Jr. and released in 2018. The plot of the movie goes something like this. Adonis Creed faces off against Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago. Yes, so as we have been doing, we'll do a bit of a spoiler-free section to let you know whether we think you should watch Creed 2 before we head into spoilers after a warning. So, yeah, um, this is a sequel to a movie that we loved yes. back in 2015. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't think that this one is as good for a lot of reasons. Um, I still really like um, especially the chemistry between Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson, which is wonderful. Um, Sylvester Stallone still does a good job in this, and his storyline is kind of interesting. But, like, it's a lot less um, – it's not really forging its own path as much as the as the first one was. Mm. Um, it's a lot less emotionally involving, and also a lot of the time you're just sitting there going, "Why is he being such a brat?" Mm. A lot. He's very frustrating in this movie, um, and yeah, it's a bit a bit predictable and a bit too by the numbers. It's not quite as like you you just aren't as invested in this one mm. as the first one. But it's, I mean, if you like boxing movies, it's still worth a watch, especially if you like um, the actors in it because they do a really good job. Yeah, and I think the um, the final fight is actually pretty good, I think. I don't think this does fights nearly as well as its predecessor. Like I really noticed the absence of Ryan Coogler and Maurice Alberti, the mm-hmm. cinematographer, uh, in this one. They try, but a lot of the time it ends up just looking like a bit of shaky cam mm-hmm. rather than like some of the cool um, – single take shots that Maurice Alberti set up. And they up do in. have some of those. Like yeah. the um the one just after the title card is um Bianca walking into his training room and then she leaves and Rocky comes yeah. in and that's all one one. Yeah, day. yes, yes. But yeah, it, there are some bits and pieces. It's just not as good. <laughs> no. And I agree with you that the presence of Tessa Thompson and Michael B. Jordan elevates this mm. um, above sort of an ordinary film, but especially the presence of Tessa Thompson. She's so good. Mm. She takes like what could be just a wife role, supportive wife role, and really makes something of it. And I think they give her character quite a bit as well. Supportive girlfriend role? Yeah, sorry, she's not, they don't actually get married yet. But um, she takes that role and like makes something of it, I think, yeah. in a really good way. But yeah, I, I mean... I like it enough, but it didn't really grab me and get me excited the way that Creed did back no. in 2015. Um, so we should probably get into the spoilers now since we seem keen to talk about yes. them. Um, I think to me the really big thing that um, that's lacking from this is there's something about the teamwork between Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan of getting the audience into the character's head. Mm. That works so well in in all three of their collaborations. One of the, it's one of the reasons why Killmonger is so popular from Black, Black Panther. It works beautifully in Fruitvale Station, and of course in Creed, we really feel like we're in Donnie's shoes. Like we go on this journey with him, mm. and I think that part of that is the way that they he that Ryan Coogler uses the camera, and Marie Salberti went on that journey with him, and you know helped him with that. 
and also it's Michael B. Jordan's acting. Mm. And when it's just Michael B. Jordan's acting and the work's not there from behind the camera, even though he's trying really hard, it's a lot harder to access what he's feeling Mm. and be on the journey with him, even when he's making the wrong choices, which was one of the things that was so great about Fruitvale Station is that you were so there with that character through his whole day, Mm. even when he was making bad choices, you were so on his side. Mm. Um, And that's the real, the, the feeling that was missing from this. Yes. I think there is something to be said about that, said for that, actually. There's a bit of the movie, I think, in the middle where I'd started to drag a bit where we, I was like I, – I found myself looking at my watch basically where mm. I was like – and there's a weirdness, of course, as well because he actually has two fights against Victor Drago. In The, the first one happens quite quickly and so mm. there's fights coming up and you're like, oh, right, so he's going to lose this one so uh-huh. he'll win the one at the end, um, which is fine. But it does sort of take a long time to get there. Mm. If you're going to have the early fight and then come back to it at the end, you kind of want to get that out of the way quicker than they actually – do and also the other thing is that i found myself feeling really sorry for victor drago through the yeah. whole thing and like i think they give ivan a character arc there to make that sort of makes something of that but the whole way through the movie i'm like i hope creed 3 is adonis helping victor come to america and leave behind his horrible family forever yeah it's really hard to really root for him to just beat down this guy who's only been beaten down his entire life mm. and has basically been emotionally abused into being a boxer and he has no um he, he just doesn't really have any lines he'd all it's all in his face he's and basically just a big baby that's yeah. all i could think whenever i was he's a massive huge weightlifting boxing baby who's mm. had no emotional like has not emotionally developed properly he, he is he is just like he's so um stunted mm. that guy and it just it's really hard to watch them yeah. fight each other cuz you're like well, this guy's got like nothing else if he loses this fight he's got nothing else yeah and look at the what he's had to put up with like he's very very sympathetic as far as villains go his dad is the villain really of the mm. piece but uh, even and he gets a redemption even at the end. But yeah, it's it's really hard to kind of go. You know who's the biggest villain is his mother, his mother Bridget Nielsen, <laughs> who also barely has any lines at all. Yeah, she just like one, I shows think. up. I know, God, which is really, uh, really finding a way to blame women, for of course, for all the problems. problems. They uh, at least they don't do that with um, Tessa Thompson and Felicia Rashad in this though. Like mm. those, and I like Felicia Rashad's um, hard line on things as well because. Mm. She's at least voicing some of what I was feeling through a lot of that, which is like, stop acting like a big baby all the time. Like mm. the men and the toxic, you know, what's the word? Masculinity? No, no, no. The way, uh, yes, but toxic masculinity, but it's that, um, you know, the way they like don't let their feelings out. Repression. Oh, right, right. Okay. Men and toxic repression of their feelings mm. as such a big thing in this movie. Mm. Like, and at no point does anybody just go like, hey, it would suck to watch you die. So maybe don't fight this guy mm. or something like that to him. And I'm just sitting there going, you could just say that. Yeah. You could just say, I mean, you might win, but if you don't, you might also die because your dad did. Yeah. And well, I think Sylvester Stallone tries to tell him that because when his daughter his... is born and he's like, I, he doesn't want to think about her being deaf like her mum, but he's like, you know, you have to think about that. You can't just like ignore the fact that this this might be her life and you have to, to deal with this. Um, in fact, 
Sylvester Stallone's best coaching job almost is getting him through the birth of his child. Mm-hmm. But he, he tries to talk about it then. But, yeah, at other stages when they're like – when they flash back to the Apollo Creed fight and when Rocky didn't throw in the towel and every time there's a possibility of a towel throwing except one in this movie, it's always like – Adonis wants to keep fighting, so they let him mm. rather than throwing the towel in on his behalf. The only person who actually throws a towel in, and of course this obviously makes it more meaningful, is Ivan on behalf of Victor at the end. And Which is a, it's a weird sort of meaningful, honestly. Like, because we're not on that journey. No. We're on we're on Adonis and, well, we're on the journey and, and Rockies. Who both need to learn how to throw the towel in, but they don't. Yeah, exactly. The big thing, I mean, the big victory in this movie just like so the the victory in creed was that donnie didn't lose his head mm. right yeah he was hot-headed he was constantly being baited into things and his big victory in the ricky conlon fight is that he went round for round with him without ever like losing it and yeah. stayed in the game right they don't ever allude to that they don't ever like talk about that in this movie mm. they they don't ever make that direct comparison, even though that's clearly what Donnie's doing again, mm. that nobody ever says to him, hey, you're doing this thing again. Stop it. It's yeah. annoying. <laughs> like, yeah. n- nobody ever just says that to him, and it's very frustrating to me. I I'm just feel like if they tried a little harder to knock some sense into him, maybe it would have gone very differently. Also, maybe if Donnie and what's-his-name, Big Nasty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Florian Lambeau or something. Yeah, um, Victor. Victor Drago. Yeah. Florian um, Munto. There you go. Muntino. Muntino. If if they had just sat down for dinner mm. and talked about their daddy issues, maybe they wouldn't have had to have the big fight. Because really, right. it just seems so avoidable in this movie. Yes. And, like, the two of them have a lot in common. Like, literally, I have a whole plot for Creed Three sketched out in my head where um, – where Victor escapes from Russia, comes to America. They start training together. Victor finds a nice girl. Their babies go to preschool together. Like I had a whole plot line mapped out in my head for these two because I'm like, you guys have more in common than separate. And also this poor baby is so abused. Mm. And like there's there's very little heroism in the fighting, Mm. I think. Like really from the beginning, the best choice would be not to fight. Mm. The best choice would be then, if you were to fight, to do it professionally mm-hmm. and without all of that anger over the past, like, getting to them all the time. Yes. And they never make the best choices. They never – neither of the main characters – I mean, neither Victor nor Adonis ever actually makes that choice. Mm. It comes down to Rocky and Ivan, which it shouldn't because it's not – this movie is called Creed 2. Yeah. And that not was why Rocky the first – Not Rocky 8. In the first one, in Creed, Rocky was very much a supporting character. He was supporting Creed through – like he was the trainer, mm. he was the mentor, yeah. but he, it wasn't his fight, whereas this one made it kind of seem like it was. It was his fight, And if yeah. it was, then he should have thrown in the bloody towel because that's that's the end of this journey for him. Mm. Is to learn how to do that and he didn't end his journey. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing. I, do I did. I, I was really excited when he showed up at Milo Ventimiglia's house, though. That, <laughs> that was made me so happy. really good. I also did think that last fight between the two of them that goes like nine, ten – possibly even 12 rounds, it goes very close to the distance, mm. was actually probably the 
the most engaging part of the film for me. Like watching that fight happen, watching Adonis like go out well early, then get on the ropes again for a couple of rounds, then come back mm. and get watching the strategy change. Like that was really interesting to me. I, I thought that was a good fight as far as cinematic fights go, especially because it's all about the strategy. And that is to me the most interesting part of the sports movie is like watching mm. them work out what to do. So I thought it was that was actually pretty well done. What it took to get there is quite a lot. And as you say, there are still other problems around the throwing in the towel stuff. Yeah, it, it just doesn't feel like the movie had a complete arc on that front. No. Although it is inter- it's really weird to see that Ivan Drago did it, especially since there's no indication from him at any point in the movie that he's anything other than horribly emotionally abusive to his son. Yeah, and, it's, and like because Bridget Nielsen walks out, that's what changes his mind? Like, okay. Well, I guess like he, he come- maybe it's a sort of I'll never be able to impress her anyway or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. or he or my son was right. We shouldn't be worrying about her. She doesn't care about us or something. I don't know. But the that was yeah. I don't know. It was it, he gets out Elf a little too easily considering how horrible he is to that guy, that kid. Yeah, his whole life. I was more impressed with him in terms of acting than I thought I would be. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren, but only because I thought he would be really terrible <laughs> and he wasn't. So like, yay, good job. <laughs> um, literally, like he doesn't have any lines for the first 15 minutes or something of the movie. Like there's a whole mm. silent, I mean, not silent, but like no English spoken words opening in Ukraine with um, the Dragos no, and no. and the guy from Grimm. And I was like, oh, they're not letting Dolph Lundgren talk because he's no good. But then he was all right. I mean, he's definitely better than the kid who, like, also doesn't have a whole lot to say. And when he does is worse than when he's not talking. Well, yeah, I think it's a deliberate choice that they Hmm. didn't have him speak almost at all because it it seems like he's some kind of fighter in real life Hmm. that they've drafted into this job and so his physical stuff is the best like he has an amazing training montage before you were so into the training montages it was really funny the uh, yes i love the training montage because when you go to the gym as much as i do you know how fucking hard all that stuff is Mm -hmm. so he does this like push-ups on battle ropes, does battle ropes halfway in the air and then he lands into a squat and then starts doing them real fast. That Mm. is so hard. Also, my trainer is never allowed to watch this movie because (laughs) she'll get ideas. But it was the physical stuff that he was doing was so impressive. And and Michael B. Jordan, like, doing squats with weights in a pool. Like, Mm -hmm. the physical ability of these guys is so impressive. And I love a training montage and I love – yeah, I love training montages more now that I know how hard it is to do that stuff. I was into the um, slow pan up Michael B. Jordan's sweaty shirtless body part of the training montage as he was running down the road. I enjoyed that That part. was pretty nice. And um, Michael B. Jordan shirtless holding his baby daughter. That yeah. was pretty nice too. Is he ever shirtless? Oh, he's, he's, he's I think he's a in a singlet top. or something. But yeah, he, he's I like was... snuggling her and I'm like, oh boy. I was watching that going, but skin to skin contact is really important. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, I mean she's um, like obviously not a tiny like she's not but even brand when new. She's then first, she's a little bit older. I was like, oh, you had a chance to do that. <laughs> yeah, know. take your shirt off and have have contact with his baby. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, all the baby cuddling, Michael B. Jordan baby cuddling is definitely worth it. Yeah, that's that's those were actually the scenes that I think I became more emotionally invested in. Well, yeah, when this- he couldn't get the get the baby to stop crying, mm-hmm. and then he took her to the gym, which yeah. was weird but kind of cute. 
Yeah. Because um, when he didn't know what to do, that's where he went. Yeah. Um, oh, no, that was nice. And this is what I say about Tessa Thompson elevating that girlfriend role. Like, she needs to get out of the house, which is pretty, I think, common experience for lots of new mums. And so she, you know, hands baby over to dad and dad, like, finds it, finds out how hard it is. And, and, and like, that is, like, a whole great scene that shows us, shows him growing up, stop acting like a baby mm-hmm. because you have to be responsible for one. Yeah, and that exactly. Was a, that's a good – that's like the most emotional growth he has. It is. And then afterwards he actually apologizes to Tessa Thompson for being a brat earlier. Yeah. And then I also really liked when she came out as like his hype man. Yes. And sang for him. As he, she was, and then like when she's fronting up to the Russian crowd, <laughs> it was really cute. Like she's just so cool. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and that whole bit where, yeah, where he apologizes to her and then – recognizes her as a key part of his team mm-hmm. as well just good bits like that yeah it is um and that's i think where and and also the relationship between him and rocky and mm. like the kind of friendship that the three of them have is the strong thing that carries over from the first one i yeah. think because that's that kind of core of affection and there's a very real kind of relationship that happens there mm. that works really nicely and that's because, you know, good actors and and because Sylvester Stallone knows this role so well. And well, um, yeah, and well established. Like the setup of uh, the Tessa Thompson, Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone relationships in Creed was well done. Yeah. And so they can carry over that energy and, and what they learned there into this one, which is just, yeah. yeah. The, the reveal of her being pregnant was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like it's so good and it's so like really clever comic timing and all this mm. stuff, but it's also so cheesy that she is like, we're getting married and also I'm pregnant and all of this stuff is happening just so that we can have this insane amount of parallel to your dad mm. and the fight. And I was like, you could do this more subtly with yeah. less like – it's just really frustrating that they they feel like because the first one does have parallels between Creed and Rocky, but also between Creed and Apollo Creed. And mm. like even though there are similarities, it's really about Adonis's journey of stepping out of the um shadow of his father while simultaneously accepting who his father was. Mm. It's a very kind of nuanced journey that he goes on, whereas this one's just like I have to fight the son of the guy who killed my dad. It's very weird, you know? It's a it's, it's a, a weird energy. It's a more basic kind of story. Yeah. It's just kind of history repeating as opposed to history rhyming, you know? Oh, it all feels so Shakespearean, says one of the oh God, the commentators. lines. Got some of the lines in this are just... And I, I see um, Stallone has a screenplay credit again. And I also see on the story credits, Cheo Hidari Koko, who's the oh, okay. Luke Cage showrunner. So, yeah, interesting as to who who wrote what really on that front i like the way that that you know with the um black director and and star and everything the way that they kind of work in that blackness to the story Mm. and his you know the the his other coach and all those guys and the music the way that they use the hip-hop music Mm. and the rap music and all that sort of stuff really well with the story without it being like watching dear white people yeah he's a champ you can get behind um but he doesn't stop being himself yeah exactly and like and there's a lot it doesn't feel like it's been written by a white guy no i actually read an essay this morning on the rocky films and and the the racism in the earlier films particularly Mm. around apollo creed and the way that creed kind of 
reframed that by, mm. you know, looking back on it on it through that perspective. It was a really interesting essay actually I put in the show notes and it kind of ties into like white people's ideas about sport, sport and black champions in sport and how mm-hmm. they relate to them and how they relate to white champions. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, and these films really are trying to atone for that. Mm. I really at one point just wanted somebody to call that promoter guy on his bullshit, but that never happened either. Oh, he was the worst. He's the worst. And nothing ever happens really with him. No, he's just like, oh, that's boxing. This skeezy guy just goes around and then he's ruining just, people's lives. He's just there in the background of everything. Mm. You know, he's there at the fight. Yes, another do person anything. who's manipulating Victor. Yes. He also manipulates Donnie, but Adonis is fully aware that he's being manipulated. He just falls into it because he's, you know, he doesn't have a good handle on his emotions. No. (laughs) He really doesn't. Like, that's really the the path he should have gone on in this. And I was so rooting for him after he got his ribs broken to just say, yes, throw in the towel. It is more important that I continue my life for my wife and daughter or future wife and daughter than – than that yeah. I win this fight. Absolutely. That would have been the appropriate amount of emotional growth for that character at that point. And it would have matched the first film where he loses the fight but gains his career. Like mm. that's that was part of the message is that you don't always win and that there are good reasons to throw in the towel sometimes. Mm. Yeah, and it would have been good for him to come out of it and do a, a press conference and been like, I want to be a good role model for people. Yeah, and for other fighters and for dads. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, that's I more important have... to me than keeping my championship belt yeah. as being a good role model for like, people. I didn't have my dad growing up. Like, surely that would have been a, you know, that, that people would, would be fine with that. People would think that's a brave and sensible thing to do. Maybe not the kids in front of us who were super excited when he took down um, Drago, though. Yeah. They were like – there were a couple of kids in front, of, uh, in front of us and a guy next to us who were really excited when that happened that I was mm. kind of surprised by, but I was clearly on a different journey then. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how you can watch this without just feeling so sorry for Drago. Like, Victor, I just – he's a pathetic figure, not a – like it also, this may be the silliest comparison ever, but there's one of the Mighty Ducks movies. I think it's the second one mm. where they have to go up against a Russian skating team. Yes, yes, right. And the Russian skating team are really badly treated by their coach, mm. and like so they're all jerks because they're they've been abused they've been, and it's the yeah. only thing that they know. And when the guy good guys win you're just kind of like yeah but it's not their fault that they're like this surely you guys can like you mm. know help out some way or something like that instead of just going oh they're all evil bad guys because their coach is an evil bad guy yeah. and he makes them into them i don't know i know there's cycles there's of abuse in yeah. sporting movies and there's something about old-fashioned sportsmanship of like people fight one another but it's that's on the field yeah. like there's a respect for one another as purveyors of the craft and all that kind of thing. And especially in this one where it's so obvious what Victor's gone through. Well, I mean, our opening montage of being introduced to Ivan and Victor has Ivan punching Victor awake. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> He's such a dick. It's the worst. Um, yeah, I just don't understand, but I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I guess Maybe the people don't. Well, I mean, Victor does also knock out basically everyone he fights that isn't Adonis. So that's pretty awful. I can see why you'd want someone to take him down. But but I just don't know how you can go 
like if you see all the the rest of the journey, I don't know how you can still feel that by the end. Yeah. A lot of the time I was like, maybe you should just try better parenting methods instead and see how you go. Mm. Like with Ivan, anyway. Yeah. And I also really liked the score, which was written oh, yeah. by Ludwig, I want to say Goransson. Okay, I'll look it up. Yes, um, Ludwig Göransson, who also performed on one of the songs. I actually really want to listen to the soundtrack of this because mm. partly because I liked a lot of the songs. I didn't know Tessa Thompson sang for herself, although it does kind of make I sense because there's would. a lot of um, auto tuning on there, mm. like really heavy. I don't remember if I complained about that in the first one. I probably did because I'm not a big fan of heavy auto tuning. Yeah, I um, mean, I don't, I don't really mind that much. I like that she at least tried to sing for herself, and she wrote co-wrote one of the songs too. Yeah. The, yeah, no, it work, goes really well. And then they obviously bring in the Rocky score right at the end when he wins. Yes. But the score all the way through is quite good. Yes. Um, sometimes it's a little heavy-handed. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's boxing and they are heavy-handed. Yeah. Like that's what boxing they do. Boxing is super drama. And so that really doesn't bother me that much. I think it was actually quite well used. And, and music in general, I think, in this movie was really mm. good. I loved, loved the bits where they would like where they were doing the training montages and he would like box to the beat of the yes! song that was happening. <laughs> was so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way that the, the editing on that must have been so tough and I appreciated it so much. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it was cool as hell. Yes. I loved it. It happens twice in both the training both the montages. Tra- yeah, no, definitely. Because he also, yeah, the one where he goes out to the desert, which I guess they just need a change of location. <laughs> I was like, oh, we can't have another boring gym montage. We have to go somewhere cool so that we yeah. have a cool montage. That's right. <laughs> that was the only reason. They were like, oh, this is where people come to be reborn. Why? I don't know. It looks good. <laughs> you know, it's cool to watch people it's, kicking it's tires. Everyone will be sweaty. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's orange and, you know, the, it, so the orange will counteract the blue. Mm. Of the Get to shoot some stuff. of the American desert. Yeah. And we just to remind everybody this is a great American movie. This is a Mustang in the desert yeah. on a big road. I did like um, Adonis in white as well. That was mm-hmm. a really good look for him. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not at all distracted by how hot I think Michael B. Jordan is. Um. Yeah, okay, so there's um, the um, the proposal scene, which you hinted at earlier, was so cute. Yeah. It was so, like, the whole thing and the way that it kind of doesn't meet expectations but it goes okay anyway is such a rocky thing. Mm. It's such a, like, it, it works so well with this world and yeah. this, these stories that, like, you know, they have to kind of stumble and not do everything perfectly, but it'll... It works out in the end. And, yeah. and, well, I mean, even down to the fact that they find out they're pregnant, like, almost immediately after getting engaged, so they're not getting married anytime soon either. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, no, nothing is going to plan, yeah. it, but um, they're making the best of it. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of curious about how Bianca's deafness is going to go with her whole singing recording career. And also, like, I'd be interested to see how the deaf community reacts to the Amara storyline. I Yeah, I'd be interested in that too because you do see that um, Adonis and and Bianca speak in sign language. So presumably they will also have sign language. I think Bianca their... speaks to him and he doesn't seem to have – he doesn't ever do it back. True, but he can understand it. Yeah. But I, what I would assume, I don't know, the family will speak sign mm-hmm. um, as well as like, as well as having the ear grommet things that they all have. But, yeah, I would be interested to know that as well. I do like that they've made this part of the storyline like because it's sort of – I just weaving disability in, but then again, Tessa Thompson isn't deaf, so I, but I don't she know. isn't. I mean, the character, yeah. 
it's so always I, frustrating like, when they show those kind of journey to disability things because you're like, yeah, but I mean, the character wasn't deaf. In the last one, she was going deaf. Mm. So it's hard to do like a you'd have to have somebody who's deaf playing hearing and then yeah yeah you know and and which is so but know, still like fair it, enough but still it's still yeah and i'd always thought of it as you know fairly progressive that they just include that as part of her character like they didn't mm. have to they could have just made her hearing and they didn't mm. um especially the whole she's uh, a musician as well so yeah i like obviously we can't totally speak to it but i don't know it seems like a good thing to me as long as it's handled well I don't know. And, I, and that's a bit I don't really know about. Yeah. I think I'd have to, have to look into it because, like, they seemed pretty devastated that she w- was probably deaf. And I was like, it seems like something that – seems a, like a pretty would've... minor, you know, like, firstly, <laughs> her mom is going deaf. Yeah. So they already know how to deal with this. Like, yeah. they're in – of all the people to have a deaf child, they're probably in the best position. You know, they, they would know a lot already. Well, partly, but also, like, you'd think that – they would have done some preparation for this before yeah. the baby came out, knowing that it was a possibility. Yeah, I know. When he did, when he, he, when he was like, it's all going to be fine. I'm like, yes, it probably is all going to be fine. And being deaf is fine. Yes, exactly. Like, so prepare for it. Like Ugh. start start investigating baby hearing doctors and start learning how to sign properly so you can sign with your daughter. Like, come yeah. on, dude. Yeah, exactly. It's not hard. It, would have, it wouldn't have killed them to have a little, like, signing lessons montage in with all the other montages yeah. or something like that, you know. Yeah. But yeah. whatever. <laughs> Felicia Rashad, I think, says he's a grown man about six times in this movie. Oh, I remember hearing it once. <laughs> she says it at least three times. She says he's a grown – no, you're a grown man. She says to him, you're a grown man in the kitchen – when he's like, I'm going to take the fight. And she's like, you're a grown man. It doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. She says it again at some point around the baby time. And she also says it to Tessa Thompson yeah. when they're having a dis- – she, she's like, he's a grown man. And yeah. I was like, I feel like she's just constantly trying to remind everybody around her that he's not a baby and that he he really needs to look after himself a little bit yeah, yeah. instead of just constantly wanting everybody else to – because he, he does That's this- continuing Felicia Richard's role of saying the things that you would actually be thinking exactly. a sensible person would be thinking. Because he does this thing where he's just blaming everybody around him for mm. what's going on and they're all like, dude, you took the fight. Yeah. None of us wanted you to, so chill. He's like, look at me, I'm pathetic, all this stuff. Well, yeah, like, mm. you unilaterally decided to go into this fight. You went in unprepared and he got slaughtered. Yeah. I think I've seen, I've said everything. I didn't take a lot of notes, actually, which probably says that um, the movie was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think it only kind of suffers in comparison to the first one. Well, yeah. But it was still pretty enjoyable and watchable. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, a little bit of a drag in the middle, but other and and yeah no it's no creed but no. it's still a pretty decent movie and michael b jordan is so freaking watchable and so is tessa thompson uh and yeah and felicia rashad and and sylvester stallone in support are really good too yeah oh um when we were talking before about the fighting and people respecting each other and that stuff it reminded me of um like this week in australia um anthony mundine is fighting somebody Again? yeah i heard that and he got really really aggro at the weigh-in yeah. So apparently that's not that uncommon. Oh, boxing it's really in common. Boxing. No, boxing it's it's a thing. Yeah. Um yeah, like it's I actually I mean I know in in like WWE and stuff they do kind of but, yeah. but that's all like fake. they're playing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in boxing you'd think they'd be at least a little bit no, less No, it's horribly ac- acrimonious. Yeah. Um yeah, and and some of it has like 
goes back into sort of racial issues, particularly even think about people like Muhammad Ali, where mm. he was all and, and Mundine thinks he's Ali. Um, you know, Ooh, they're both boy, black. Let's go into, not going to Anthony Mundine and, and Muslim issues. Anyway, but but yeah, like so when you go back into like that that kind, there is actually history there of like Muhammad Ali faced a lot of racism and other horrible stuff, and that's why he. He was like, no one else is going to talk me up. I have to. Hmm. Um, so there's that history there as well. So there's, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff in there. But, yeah, it is. It is part of boxing. I'm just like, I, I'm being silly if I think that, that boxers are going to start like just being, you know, I'm not fighting and being like buddies off screen who fight on screen, you know. Yeah, it, it, but it's not just that. It's It's also that like I th- I really feel like Adonis is not a very professional person. Which is weird because I'm pretty sure in the first one he had an office job before he yeah left like to be he a boxer. had a regular life. Um, but he just is like he lets everything else get the better of him so much mm. that like seeing that emotional growth and seeing him choose not to continue the fight would have been so powerful. Yeah, and like the thing is, he's not a kid either. Like the movie acts as though he's 25 years old, except that Apollo Creed died in 1985, so he's got to be at least 30 four or so years old so he's not he's it's not like he's new at this it's not like he's at an age where his emotional maturity should be ramping up i feel like we should probably check into the what's supposed to be the timelines of these movies because we definitely know that the apollo creed fight happened in 1985 because it says it in the film okay so that's that definitely what we don't know is what year it is that we're in now i would assume that it's still at least three years ago because it opens like we just go straight on from the last film essentially mm. like they don't there's not a lot of space i don't think there's a lot of time between oh no he has to be become that heavyweight champion doesn't he and he wasn't in the last one yeah so he, he's he's fought a bit like maybe a year in between yeah. um but still like it, it's not clear that it's set when the films are made mm. so we don't necessarily know obviously michael b jordan wasn't born in 1985 but Mm-mm. he's younger than that but the, the the film seems a little bit confused about how old he is, is all I'm saying. Mm. Or it doesn't explain to us how old he is, given especially given the way he behaves. <laughs> like a baby? Like a big baby? Yeah, <laughs> like an adolescent. He does behave like a teenager frequently in this movie. Yeah, like um, just all in, wants to fight all the time, not going to give up, no compromises kind of stuff, which just, yeah, doesn't yeah. make sense. I did like the um the scene where... Um, Rocky comes out and visits it at Felicia Rashad's house too. That was nice. Yeah, but uh, and he must have got over his plane thing to get to Russia. No. Oh yeah, probably didn't take a train to Russia. No, or a boat. No, probably not. Good point. They should have put that in the movie. Yeah, I would have liked to see that. It would have been interesting. Yeah, a lot of things seem to be dropped by the mm. end of it, which is a bit frustrating. Also, I didn't like the way that his mother and Bianca were like, "Get up!" the whole time and like keep fighting and stuff. Yeah, when they know that that's. They've caused they problems both the first time. know the, really the consequences of that, yeah. especially Felicia Richard. Anyway, yeah. we should probably rate this movie before I actively fall asleep here because I'm clearly losing some energy. Okay. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, I give it three and a half stars. Um, I think I'm probably going to go the same three and a half stars, but I don't know. I gave Widows that too. Yeah, I know. I, don't, I feel like Widows was better made than this. Yes, but also too long yeah it was too um long and, stuff. and then this is like engage more engaging but also not as well made so true yeah three and a half stars seems fine cool okay 
Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you'd like to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.